This podcast is proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry. Hi, I'm Gordon Muller. I'm the guru in the Doc and Guru podcast. Thanks for being with us. For those of you who don't know me, I've spent over 40 years in the media industry in South Africa and uh, pretty much made it my home, my life, my passion. I have other passions, unfortunately, for my sins. I'm an Arsenal supporter and a Shark supporter, so we're going to do pretty much everything on the show as it pertains to media, marketing and money, but we don't take jokes about Arsenal or the Sharks. I'm Doug Mateus, uh, the doc on the show. Uh, and again, for those of you who don't know me, I've uh, spent 30 years in, in uh, various companies in South Africa uh, running uh, different marketing functions. And the last job I had, I was privileged in, uh, enough to work with a team that took uh, the brand to the fastest growing brand in South Africa in 2018 with a 47% year-on-year growth. So that was a, a great achievement uh, for the team and, and, and I'm really proud of that. Uh, from a personal point of view, I do a little bit of cycling uh, and also snow skiing. So we quite enjoy that. But again, uh, today's discussion is around all things marketing and media. Yep, that's right, Doc. All things marketing and media. No subject too big, no topic too small, no subject too hot to handle please get in touch with us on our facebook page follow us like us whatever it takes we would love you to be involved with the show and uh, we really want to make it as inclusive and as energetic as i know this industry is capable of welcome to another uh, episode of the doc and the guru gordon how's it going all right, Doc. Uh, pretty good going. I, I see the uh, temperature gauge in your vehicle is off again. You, <laughs> it's thirty degrees outside, and you look like Nanook of the North. <laughs> Gordon, I like to, uh, you know, dress up. I, I get a bit cold, so I've got my my thick, puffy jacket. You've got your North. I mean, but, not, uh, we need North Face as brand advertiser, but you've got your North Face polar outfit on. There, <laughs> it's not that bad. It just looks a bit puffy, but. Uh, you know, it, it certainly keeps me. Now, Gordon, speaking of happy, I can see you grinning because your team is now in the FA Cup final. Well done. One step away from, uh, from you know, kind of salvaging something out of an appalling season. But yeah, no, take it as it comes, one game at a time. No, absolutely. Well, hopefully, you know, all the best for the first and, and hopefully you guys can go over the line and get a bit of silverware uh, at, at Arsenal, so well absolutely, done yeah, absolutely. But anyway, Gordon, onto the sort of moment uh, of of the, of the day. Uh, today we're going to talk with Jeremy Sampson, an old friend of yours. Now, uh, before I welcome Jeremy, it's not often that I get the chance to welcome two Financial Mail Ad Focus Lifetime Achievement Award winners. So well done for that as well. Yeah, Jeremy, uh, you're uh, to be with you as the senior <laughs> statesman. Though, you you can comment. You're the senior statesman. Well, I don't know, because I think until I was elected, and I think it was 2010, it was all mainstream advertising people. And um, you know, I was the only, and still I'm the only brand or designer to have got there. Um, and I think I'm right in saying you were the first media person, weren't you? Um, I know Janine Hollis, I think it was last year, Lifetime Achiever. But we managed to sort of uh, break into the gang of ad men, as it were, even though a lot of them, of course, are our friends. Uh, but it's still uh, an accolade that I'm sure you and I are very proud of. Oh, absolutely. And uh, yes, I do think, uh, you know, we 
in media have always been children of a lesser God. So I think recognition uh, for individuals in the media sector is always of value because we, we really do play catch up uh, to the creative guys, or certainly for in the past. That's that's of course changed. I think in the last couple of years and. Uh, you know, it's good to see, and we will next week be chatting to one of the young captains of media industry, Chris Porter. So, yeah, it's, it's good. I'm always happy when media gets profiled, yeah. Yeah, and I would say that um, I don't agree with you on your lesser child because you're very important and crucial. Um, and wearing my hat, I always say, if you haven't got a brand, you wouldn't have an ad agency. So this is where I guess we're all part of the team working together I'm sure Doug has got something to add to this as well. No, absolutely, Jeremy. Now, we've spoken on previous podcasts, Gordon and I, in terms of, you know, the importance of everyone in the sector. You know, uh, I mean, if I look back at, at, at the money that uh, is spent in terms of the media sector, and perhaps, you know, if I look back at, uh, you know... The, the fact that, that it wasn't part of the mainstream dialogue in some cases, and, and through the years, you know, I tried, and I don't think I'm alone, try to change it. So that I, brought, I brought the creative guys and the media guys in one weekly status, so we had a weekly status every week. Uh, and certainly people who worked on, on brands that planned uh, and did more seasonal work uh, couldn't really understand why I wanted to do a weekly uh, brand and media status. And certainly the importance is to get, you know, to get everyone talking because everyone has a role to play. But Jeremy, just before we get into today, I just want to introduce you as the Managing Director for Brand Finance Africa. And that's the topic of today's discussion, you know, the annual report that comes out, South Africa's top 50 brands that came out uh, a short while back. And we'd just like to chat around, you know, some of the successes and the brands that won and lost and, and, the, and you know, the ones that have done really well and why they've done well. And then obviously into the, the devastating effects and, and you're right, the forward in terms of, of covid and you predict that about eighty, about sixty-five billion rands worth of brand loss uh, is the potential loss from from COVID. So we'll talk a little bit about that in a bit of detail. Gordon, if you want to maybe kick off uh, with with a question for Jeremy. Yeah, Jeremy. I mean, the report is incredibly rich, and we've we've just got the sort of top line report, and that in and of itself is outstanding. So heaven only knows what's in in the main report. But you talked about four months that changed the world, and that. Some brands are paralyzed and others uh, are having what you called a, in your introduction a positive pandemic. Just in broad terms before we unpack the detail of, of the winning brands, you, what, what, what's the big differentiator what, you know, between the paralyzed brands and, and the brands that are having a, a positive pandemic? You, Gordon, would remember um, a certain Mr. A.J. Laffley, who was CEO of Procter & Gamble. But I think he had two different stints as CEO of Procter and Gamble, and he was the guy who turned around when there was a small crisis um, twenty odd years ago, and said, "We're not going to cut our spend in any way in marketing," and that's something that Procter and Gamble are repeating this year. They might have moved their budgets around and redeployed them in different ways, but they're not cutting their spend in any way because they believe when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. I know it's an old saying, but it still has resonance, I think, today. And if you have muscle, you use it. Uh, and that's what they're doing. So they're saying they want to actually maintain, and possibly because it's gone quieter at the moment, and because there are better deals in the media, and you know that better than me, they're actually going to improve their share of voice and improve uh, their position in the market. Of course, not everyone would agree with them, 
And of course, there are some who have no pockets, they have no money, and they're just fighting to survive. And sadly, in these days, a lot of people actually won't survive. This is where we have a winnowing going on of the smaller companies, the smaller brands, the less important ones are going to drop out of sight. So it's very, very interesting, but I'm sure you're finding that at the moment, some people are still raising their voice, they're still keeping a presence, but a lot of people have gone totally quiet. And I must say that I think it's wrong to go quiet. As long as you can keep your voice, keep a profile, maintain your image and your position out there, if you can. Yeah, look, it's... Uh... You know, from a media perspective, it's certainly something that we're all clinging on to as a hope. Um, and, you know, I think, again, one of the differentiators in the report is brands which uh, survive are increasingly perceived to be essential versus the peripherals. And I guess it's hard to uh, to see yourself as uh, as an essential brand if you're not, you know, kind of communicating that essential uh, focus in my life. I need to be reminded of how essential you are. And I would guess ultimately one of the winning uh, traction points would be, you know, your relationship with the trade. I, I suppose if you, we, we can't lose sight of the fact that P&G um, maintains a trade relationship through its advertising as well. You know, it's not just share of voice, it's share of shelf ultimately when this ends as well. Well, you're absolutely right. Um, but then on the other extreme, you have the hotels. Um, you know, who wants to be in the shoes of uh, a city lodge or Sogo Southern or a Southern Sun at the moment? Um, because people can't use you. Um, who wants to be in the shoes of a distel when alcohol sales um, are banned? Um, and you know, you only have to look at the share price of distel over the last, even the last three or four weeks, but it's been drifting down since lockdown. And so this is where there are sectors that well, is there any point in advertising? Is there any point in maintaining a profile? So it's a very, very challenging time for some. Uh, and as we know, the big winner probably um, is someone like an Amazon. I think Take A Lot locally has been a little bit slow to get off the ground. And certainly when I've used them, I found their service to be quite patchy. Their service has been quite slow. But on the other hand, these are the brands that... Um, especially in the case of Amazon, is growing at a tremendous rate of knots. Um, and its share price is going up as a result. Um, and in fact, um, a brand finance study about four weeks ago showed that of their market capitalization, of their share price, over 24% was brand value. Now, when you actually look at the total value of Amazon on the stock markets, and you realize the brand is worth 24%, that is a huge, huge figure. And still we have in this country, as you know, marketing departments who are not understood by their exco, sometimes don't have a seat in the exco room, um, still are not treated, shall I say, with the respect perhaps that they should be getting when they're looking after sometimes the major asset of a company, its brand and its brands. After all, without a brand or brands, as we all know, often you don't have a company. Yet that's still a debate that's sadly going on not just in South Africa, around the place. And this is where some people still see marketing as a cost, whereas, of course, it should be seen always as an investment. Absolutely, Jeremy. And I think, you know, again, Gordon and I have touched on, on that same topic a few times, and it's, it's almost 
you know, it's, it's to the point of almost frustration that you've been saying this discussion has been going on for years about the place of the CMO and, and globally. There's talk of, you know, is there still the role of the CMO and uh, bringing back the role and expanding the role and contracting the role and then adding customer experience into the role and taking. So, so I think that's, that, that's an ongoing thing and something that modern day marketers do need to stand up and, and be accountable. And one of the things that, that certainly I found through, through my career is a real fundamental understanding of value and, and, and valuation and being able to defend the methodology that you use to get to the value. But just before we get on to the next point, I just want to step back into the, you're talking about tourism and hotel trade, and, and it is frustrating. You know, I'm doing a little bit of work with, uh, with a group now uh, in terms of, of where can they go, and, and in terms of the gray area, you know, in terms of, of not between uh, pr provincial travel, but in the in uh, provincial travel, you know, can you stay over? Is it only for business? So it's those sort of things. And then onto the alcohol sector, the stop-start nature of that, you know, it was closed, then it was open and people are gearing up and, and, and doing things, and then it was suddenly shut down again. So, you know, it, it must be frustrating, and not only frustrating, but I mean, the costs are astronomical. You look at, and we've all read the reports of the of the loss of taxation just on, on, on the alcohol sector alone. So, you know, hopefully we can, as a country, get to a point of clarity terms of where we're going with those type of sectors and uh, and then move forward because you've got to feel for it you know you look at the job losses you look at the income generation out of tourism that is uh, you know that is that is at zero or practically zero at the moment do me just moving you forward go? yeah moving sorry can i respond sure of course you can of co absolutely um what you're saying absolutely spot on but you know i know that in the wine industry something like 90 percent of all wine estates either break even or make a loss. Now, that was before what's been going on in the last few months. And again, you and I know that they're farmers. You know, wine producers are farmers. They farm grapes. So when do they start picking the grapes? Well, beginning of the year um, and through. So this last few months has been the most critical time for wine producers, picking the grapes, making the wine, bottling it, um, or letting it sit in the vats or whatever. And so what the government has actually done to them is absolutely incredible because they couldn't have done more to actually help destroy an industry. And, and as you're saying, you know, was it two weeks ago where the president announced on a Sunday night that they will be closed within 12 hours, in other words, nine o'clock the next morning. Now, it's unbelievable. And I was talking to one of the uh, CEOs of one of the main wine and alcoholic beverage groups down there, and he said, he said, I'm almost slitting my wrists, Jeremy, down here. I've got my vats. I've got everything here, but things are going off. No, they're not going to last. Uh, and I'm being stopped from trading. And he said, it's actually killing me. And he said, I'm one of the big boys. No, he said, I hate to think what some of the little boys are going through because they're not going to survive this. And as we're saying, there seems to be in government a lack of understanding, a lack of interest, or they're blaming the DOP system from, what, 30, 40 years ago, uh, and forgetting how much, as you're saying, in taxation they put into the system, uh, the number of jobs they produce, and the number of people they employ around the country, from whether it's the farms to the whole industry around the country. They're busy destroying it, which is terribly, terribly sad. It's mind-numbing because uh, my understanding as well is that uh, the leg industry pays... Uh, pays tax at, at, at the, the point of production rather than at, uh, at the point of sale, which is, which is even more insane to expect people to pay taxes on, on 
on products which they would not be allowed to sell. It, it, it's beyond bizarre. It, it's sinister in my opinion. But let's let's get back on track to the, the, the good news about the top brands because there is some really <laughs> interesting case studies in here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and I think, Gordon, you can. And, and, and I think we all perhaps go through I shouldn't say we all. I certainly go through those phases where you look at some of those decisions and you shake your head in disbelief. And then you start wondering about the reasons. But we're not going to get into that. Um, Jeremy, let's talk uh, the top brands in South Africa, um, the, the top 50. Can you just highlight you know, some of the, the salient points out of that report, the brands that have done really well? MTN, the top brand again, uh, Life Healthcare, the, the fastest grain brand. Uh, etc. So if you don't mind just taking us through some of the highlights of that report. You're listening to The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media. Right. And let me just step back because some people are saying, well, oh, there are so many rankings, you know, how much credibility do they have? Well, Brand finance was started nearly 25 years ago out of Interbrand. Uh, and as you know, I was involved with Interbrand and brought it to Africa. And in fact, uh, back in the late 90s, we valued SA Breweries. And SA Breweries in those days was only eight brands, and four of those were Castle. Uh, and on the team from London, Interbrand was a guy called David Haig. And David and I worked together back in those days. And then uh, a year or so later, he went off and started Brand Finance. So Brand Finance is London-based. It's now in about 20 countries. Um, as I say, it's coming up to 25 years old. Importantly, it's international standards recognized. There's an international standard for valuing and putting a financial value on something and also measuring the equity. And within Brand Finance, we call the equity the brand strength. So they produce perhaps, I don't know, 50 rankings a year. And we go through countries, we go through sectors. Um, and that way, we're comparing ourselves with each other. So the South Africa Top 50 has come out in June, July for about the last six or seven years. I've been involved in the last few years. All the uh, data that we get is publicly available. It's public domain. And that goes back to London and they crunch the numbers and we come back with these figures. And as you rightly say, uh, MTN has been the top brand now for several years. People forget that when you look at MTN, it's in actually 22 countries. You know, people forget it's in high risk areas like Nigeria, like Syria, like Iran, like even Afghanistan. And MTN is the biggest and the strongest brand Last year, for the first time, it topped 50 billion rands by value. And this year, it's dropped down just below that. But still a very strong brand. And as we say in our report, lots of scandals, lots of controversy. But hey, that's what goes with big companies and big brands today. So despite that, they power on. And I think Rob Shooter, the CEO, has done a great job holding it all together. Uh, as he told me only the other day, he spends his life on webinars because obviously 22 countries and he can't travel. So he's got to keep his finger on the pulse of all those countries and see what's going on. Second brand is Vodacom. Um, Vodacom is doing very well um, on brand strength that came through particularly strongly. Um, and as Doug knows better than me, you know the interesting story of when Vodacom and MTN started, 
I think was at MTN was was at two or three days behind Vodacom uh, being launched just before Christmas. When was that? I don't know. 1994. Years. 1994. 1984. 1984. Uh, 94. And as a result of that, Vodacom still has the first mover advantage, which is quite incredible. Mm. Um, and I know people will argue and debate about that. Below those top two, and this is where we're typical perhaps of an emerging country, it's usually the telcos and the banks. Wherever you go in the world, emerging countries, those are the two categories. So after we have those top two, uh, we go down into the banks. Uh, and this is where, um, when one actually looks at it, you've got FNB in third place, followed by ABSA. Old Mutual has gone into fifth place from, I think, eighth. Old Mutual is interesting because you would remember from May last year, they got into um, a very public debate with their CEO, Peter Moyo, mm. um, and that actually dragged on for a long, long time. And a lot of people thought it might have dragged the brand down, but in fact, it doesn't seem to have dragged it down at all. In fact, it's powered back. And of course, over the last couple of weeks, one's very aware that Old Mutual is 175 years old, and it's not just number five in South Africa, it's the only insurance brand in Africa rated by brand finance in its global rankings and is currently sitting at number 73. So Old Mutual has had a good run. And then if you go down, you have Standard Bank in sixth place. Sassel is still hanging in as a strong brand. Uh, and then we have Nedbank and Investec has come back into the top 10. Last year it had slipped out. And in 10th place is Woolies at the moment. So you can see the banks, very, very strong indeed. Um, and banking sector is particularly interesting because, of course, it's a sector that some would say is under threat. Some would say it's going through change. Now, in South Africa, we have discovery moving into banking. We have time and we have zero. Um, Capitec is increasingly as well. So you have quite a lot of banks uh, fighting out for that top position. Uh, one wonders, in fact, if they'll all still be standing in a year or two years' time. But certainly when it comes to the big four, very powerful. Now, that is talking financial value. Um, and these are the brands that often we say, well, could they be bought or sold for that sort of value? Now, that's where it starts getting complicated, of course, because you can think back over the years of brands that have been bought and sold. I guess in South Africa, the most recent one is Jet Stores out of Edgar's. Um, because a brand has to be separable. And, and I heard actually a, a couple of months ago that in the negotiations with the Edcon group, one of the problems was separating JET out from the Edcon structure, if I can call it that, from its distribution center, from its financial arrangements, from all those aspects. But at any rate, you know, it's been separated out, and so that brand has been sold. Um, and then you look at other brands over the years that have been bought and sold uh, for considerable amounts of money. So when people say, what's the point of putting a value on a brand? Firstly, it's to actually measure it. It's to monitor it and to see what's going on for the future. One of the clients we've been working with a lot over the last couple of years has been ABSA. Because ABSA, as you would recall, was linked to Barclays for a long time. They divorced from Barclays. And that transition has taken a couple of years and I think that finished off earlier this year. So now ABSA is back standalone and totally independent, not part of Barclays PLC. So we've been helping them measure what's going on and how the brand is doing. 
And again, one's got to remember that they're not just South Africa. I think I speak under correction, but there are about 11 African countries. So that's where one has to monitor and measure and see what's going on. So that gives you the top 10 by value. Jeremy, I mean, you, you've made reference to, to sectors, which uh, I, I find really interesting. And it, and it kind of frames even more positively the performance of MTN and Vodacom and the banks. So your top 10 sectors globally, uh, traditionally, the you know automobile uh, sector in terms of their reputation analysis is the top sec- sector or the most trusted, I guess, reputationally. Banks and telecoms only come in nine and 10, which is intriguing. So of our top 10 brands, you know, it's not that they're just basking in the benefit of, uh, of a, a traditionally trusted sector. You know, they've done well as brands in sectors which sit at nine and 10. So just I want, the one sector which did attract my attention is airlines, which sit as in the top five. Uh, and heaven forbid, but I mean, how on earth do airlines become trusted um, I, I've never met a truly happy traveler. Uh, and obviously, well, I can't resist you know, pitching because I, I don't have it uh, in the stats I've got. Where does SAA sit in this whole thing? And what's its prognosis as, as, a, as a valuable brand? I think airlines are interesting because, first of all, to put a financial value on them is incredibly difficult. Because, as you know, you know airlines around the world, to various degrees are often propped up, if that's the right term, by their governments, uh, certainly supported or invested in by their governments. Now, some of the individual um, airlines, especially in the States, are standalone. Um, but a lot of airlines, so it's not just South Africa, although there probably isn't one anywhere else in the world supported more than SA Airways. But when you actually look, what do you want from an airline? and Again, someone said, well, no, basically, uh, when you get onto a plane, you've got two types of plane. You've got a Boeing or an Airbus. There aren't too many others after that. Yes, the configurations can tr- change a bit. But this is where the, the culture of the airline, the way it deals with you and treats you, um, the way the crew behaves, um, do they um, have interesting colors or get up or whatever? All these things, as you know, when it comes to a brand, are part of the total experience. With an airline, I guess that experience starts when you go onto the website um, to have a look at flights and schedules and making your booking. Um, But all those things come together. And this is where sometimes we, we say that an airline is the main billboard, if I can put it that way, of a country. Um, you think of Singapore Airlines, you think of, uh, very beautiful ladies as the hostesses, very smartly dressed. Um, and Singapore, almost their major tourism uh, instrument is their airline. Um, SA Airways, as we know, has had a very difficult time financially. Um, will it survive? Well, the latest news is it will in part, um, but, but let's see. But at the end of the day as well, you want to make sure that as with any brand, you can trust it. A lot of people refer to a brand as a trust mark, that it will leave on time, it will get you where you want to go to, it will arrive on time, and the experience will be pleasant and nice, and the crew will be nice to you and accommodating. And it's all these little touch points that add up to a good experience. Now, it's very interesting when you could do an audit of how would you travel internally in South Africa, 
Was it SAA or was it Mango, which of course is part of the SAA group? Would it be BA or Comair or would it be Safair? And just getting the, the, the different responses from people, what they particularly liked or didn't like about airlines. And then of course, hovering over a lot of that sort of thing is the actual cost. Because sometimes the so-called low cost flyers are not as low cost as you might imagine. So again, like any brand, um, where there's competition, the brand has to be invested in, it has to be nurtured and looked after, otherwise it's not going to survive. I think as we say in the airline industry today, many airlines sadly will not survive. Uh, that's the reality. There are too many planes, there are too many airlines, there are too many seats. And certainly now that they're flying a very, very reduced timetable, if they're flying at all, and the fact that they can only carry, what is it, about a third of their normal payload. Uh, boy, it's an industry I'm very glad I'm not involved in at all. It's interesting that you, you, you're you talking survival there because one of the uh, the trends you picked up uh, in the report or I picked up in the report is survival through acquisition. You mentioned Soho uh, a little earlier. Um, they recently acquired the Edward. Um, I remember the Edward with great fondness growing up in Durban. I think I kissed my first girlfriend behind the edward and doug that is a uh, it's a geographical reference not an anatomical reference i get tense now. so you know but what does it imply you know for uh, what's the downside of it from a consumer perspective if it's going to be uh, what you call m a action um as a survival technique does that leave me with any choice at the end of it all as a consumer well uh, again it's interesting because you know protea is owned now by Marriott. And as you say, they bought the Edward, but they also bought the Hazy View Hotel in, uh, in Pumalanga and uh, the Mount Grace Hotel, where I have very many fond memories of taking kids there over Easter and that sort of thing. So this is where it is interesting that some companies are investing for the future, if that's the right term. Um, there are opportunities um, where companies um, are going to have a fire sale of certain properties or certain brands because, um, well, they need cash to start with. They've got to get more money into their uh, bank, as it were, to help them survive. Um, I was watching um, some business news from the UK, from uh, CNN last night, and I think it was WeWorks, the company that often sets up um, sort of offices for people who uh, operate on a very small scale or moving around the world and they need to have a boardroom or a room for a presentation. And this particular company was also buying up properties in the last week because they said there are bargains to be had out there. We've got money in our bank, so we're planning for the future. And what's the future? Well, hey, it might be two or three years down the road, but at least we're getting ourselves into good shape. It also means that some companies, of course, are selling off brands because they don't need them. This is an opportunity to recalibrate yourself uh, refocus what brands you've got, what brands you want, change your portfolio. Um, and what do they say? Never, ever waste a good crisis. Jeremy, thanks. And on that note, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop off and, and let Gordon close out the, the, the conversation. But thanks very much for your time. Always fascinating and very interesting. Um, Jeremy, just in, in my closing, um, how do people get hold of you? What's the best way if they want to find out more about brands or brand valuation or just get your views on, on the future of brands? What's the best way to get hold of you? 
Doug, um, good to be talking to you as well. I think email, because it's j.samson, and that's samson with a p, at brandfinance.com. Um, you can also go onto the Brand Finance website, brandfinance.com, and, and you'll see all the reports are there, um, and a reduced level of reporting is available for everyone. If you want to get down to granular detail, I'm afraid you have to pay a little bit of money. But also there's a list of the contacts all around the world there. Um, but that's the best way. Um, and if you want to ring me, if it's that urgent, it's simply 082-885-7300. Jeremy, thanks very much. And again, I've been onto your site many times for, for our listeners out there. Do get onto the site. It, it really is a, a very rich site. Gordon, I'm going to leave it to you to close out. Yes, thanks, uh, Jeremy. That's, it's been fascinating. And I would just urge anybody who, who has an interest in, in brands and, and the evaluation of brand strength um, to get hold of the report. It's incredibly insightful. Jeremy, you, you, you mentioned uh, that you won the Ad Focus Lifetime Achiever Award in 2010. So you're a 2010 vintage. That means you're probably ready to drink uh, and uh, fairly shortly. So hopefully you and I will then will go out belatedly and celebrate our uh, Ad Focus Awards, because I, I was 2011. So I think both of us deserve a drink for that. I shall contact you on any one of those contact addresses, and I look forward to uh, to celebrating with you sooner or later. Take care. Gordon, I would welcome that, and, and thank you guys for the opportunity. Great to talk to you. I think we all have so much more in common, and uh, look forward to a follow-up. Cheers. Cheers, Jeremy. Thanks, Jim. Ciao. And so that was another episode of The Doc and the Guru. Please don't uh, forget to get hold of us on Facebook, like us, follow us, uh, subscribe to the podcast. And then from my side, you can get hold of me on LinkedIn, Dr. Doug Mataz. I'm uh, very active and very keen to hear about your views uh, and certainly will respond. And hopefully we can bring that into the show. Thanks, Doc. And it's uh, Gordon Miller, the Guru, signing off. Thank you for being with us and listening into this podcast today. You can pick up the discussion with me on my Twitter handle, at Mzanzi Media. And I'd love to engage with you on any of the issues that we've taken on in the show. And take us at our word. This is really going to be an open forum. There are no subjects that are taboo. And we'd love to have some of the younger, more under-listened, if that's the correct phrase, uh, voices to join us uh, in this discussion. Thanks for your time. The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry.